Welcome to Alumni Ask. On this podcast, you, our University of Queensland community, ask the questions. Alumni Ask is your conversation with the experts. My name is Lucy Blair. I'm a member of the UQ Alumni Relations and Engagement team and your host of this podcast. Today, from our at-home recording studios, we will be discussing cybersecurity with the Deputy Director of UQ Cybersecurity, Associate Professor John Williams. From working at home to entertainment, I think it's fair to say that the internet is proving to be more important to us now than ever before. So how do we stay safe online? How can we tell if we're at risk of being hacked? And most importantly, how often do I really need to update my passwords? Well, we're about to find out. Associate Professor John Williams, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lucy. It's a pleasure to be here. So we've split today's Alumni Ask podcast into general cybersecurity questions and questions that are more focused on studying and working within the cybersecurity space. But before we get into those questions, John, would you like to explain your role at UQ and perhaps give us a general definition of what cybersecurity is? Uh, yeah, sure. So my role, as you mentioned before, I'm the Deputy Director of the UQ Cybersecurity Initiative. Uh, this is a, a very interesting program that I've been part of putting together at UQ for the last couple of years, where we've looked at the existing capacity that we have in cybersecurity across the whole university, not just the technical side, but also in in uh, the maths and physics, the social science, law and criminology. One of the main things I've been working on recently is putting together our Master of Cybersecurity, which kicks off next semester, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that a bit later. So cybersecurity, look, definitions are tricky here. One of the ones that I sort of go to is it's about talking about the confidentiality, the integrity, and the availability of digital information, the so-called CIA. So we're interested in confidentiality, making sure that things that shouldn't be shared are not shared. We're interested in integrity. So we want to make sure that the data that we have stored maintain their integrity, that they're not tampered with and that we can detect if there is any tampering. And then availability. So we want to make sure that the services that we use are available. So that's about maintaining reliable software systems and the data behind it. Okay, great. So we'll get straight into our questions now. Our number one most commonly asked question was, how do I know if I'm being hacked? Yeah, look, that's a good one. So I'll preface this by saying that I'm positioning my responses here for for a general audience. So obviously for organizations, they have different security postures, face different security risks. So this this is general advice for people at home. So there's a few things to watch out for. And a really important one is pay attention to those emails you get, those login security emails and messages that you sometimes get from the online services you use, um, and particularly those which hold sensitive personal data. So that's your internet banking, Facebook, email, um, and and other services you might use. So you've probably, uh, well, hopefully you haven't, but maybe you've seen those emails. It says there's a suspicious login attempt, perhaps from an unknown location. Pay attention to those. Have a look at it because that is often the first sign that you as a user might have that, that something's going wrong. So first of all, If you get one of those, verify that it's from a trusted source. So then have a look at the details of that. Uh, So recently, I got a suspicious login alert on a Dropbox account. Um, Now, it's not something that I used on a regular basis. I've had it around for years. But there was an access to my account reported from a location in, I think, Central Europe. uh, And that, that clearly wasn't me. So... Once I'd kind of verified that, yes, this was from Dropbox and and it definitely wasn't me, most of these services have an option 
to log you out of all active sessions. So, you, you know, you with your email, you might be logged in from home, you might be logged in on your work computer, maybe your phone. So, and that's, that's normal. So that's the first thing you do, because if someone has compromised one of these accounts and they're active, you can boot them out. The second thing to do, obviously, is to immediately change your password. By taking these two steps, you pick them out if they're currently in and you've prevented their ability to get back in. Now, there is another thing which I would recommend everybody actually try. There's a website. It's run by an Australian security researcher called Troy Hunt. The site is called haveibeenpwned.com. Now, pwned is a bit of hacker speak for being um, compromised or hacked. So what, what this site does is it collects and archives credential dumps. These are the big, massive data dumps that sometimes appear on the internet or perhaps on the, on the dark web. Uh, a big drop of stolen account details, email addresses, sometimes passwords. So what you can do at this site is you can go there and you can enter your email address and it will tell you if your email address appears in any of these big dumps. If so, then obviously you go to that service, make sure you change the password and, and you can improve your security posture that way. If you try this and you appear in a credential dump, and my email address is in a couple of them, there was a security leak from the restaurant recommendation service Somato several years ago. My email address was in there. So don't panic. It's, it's not a definite sign that you've been compromised. It's just a hint that you should you know, look at that, make sure you change that password and then move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's really practical advice. So the next question is one that I'm kind of scared to ask because I feel like I'm very guilty. But how often do I need to update my passwords? Yeah, password security. Look, we can, we can talk all day about password security. <laughs> I know we don't have all day. So the thing that I want to get across here is that password security is about more than regular changes. And, and actually, the evidence suggests that you're far better off using a unique, secure password than just doing regular changes. And, and look, I, I'm with you. We've all been there. Sometimes um, a service that force a password change. And, you know, I've been guilty of it as well. We just stick a number one on the end of our previous password and, <laughs> and, and off we go. Um, yeah. So, you know, personally, I think that we're better off using secure, unique passwords rather than just a regular succession of insecure passwords. Now, that's not the end of the story, though. The other thing that I really want to get across is it's absolutely best practice to use what's called a password manager. So there's one built into Google Chrome, uh, but there's, there's other standalone ones as well, LaPass, 1Password, KeyPassX, and there's a bunch of them out there. And what a password manager does is it does a couple of things. First of all, it has the ability to suggest unique, secure passwords. So these are ones that contain all of those crazy random punctuation characters and mixture of upper and lowercase letters, numbers, all of that kind of stuff. So it can suggest those unique secure passwords, but it also remembers them and will autocomplete for you. The, you know, a question that a lot of people have about password managers is, well, is that safe? Because if someone gets into the password manager, now they've got all of my passwords. You know, in response to that, there's, there's a few things. So the passwords themselves are always encrypted and stored securely. And now I could be wrong about this, but I'm not aware of any breaches of a modern trusted password manager system. So on balance, I think this is the safest thing that, that people can do. Oh, that's so good to hear because I kind of thought I was being lazy when I just clicked the save password prompt. It was just so convenient. I've just been doing it for ages, but I never knew that 
kind of what was happening. So it's good to hear that it's a secure thing and I can keep using it. Yeah, look, you've, you've got to, I, I mean, you, you, you touch an interesting point here. A lot of us do get in the habit of just clicking yes or okay or approve. Mm. So, so part of having a good security posture is actually paying attention and, and reading that stuff. So, so make sure that you understand what it is you're agreeing to. But in general, mm-hmm. you know, using a browser-based password manager is, is a safe thing to do. There's one really important point that I want to make here. And actually, if people listening at home only take home one thing today, it would be this. Most online services today use your email address as your, your login or your, your username. So let's say you've created an account at some website and you've created that account. It's attached to your email address and you've used, you've reused a password that you use somewhere else. And without a password manager, that's very tempting. Now, let's say that site gets compromised and that email address and potentially the, the password, let's say that leaks. So that's that account is compromised and that's, you know, that may be a problem or it may not be. But here's the problem. If you've reused that password, so you've got a, a, a an email address and a password combination that you've reused across multiple sites, it means that those, the, either the, the hackers who got that information or someone who's acquired that, they can then go around and try that email and password combination at a range of different services. And the worst one of all, is if it's the same password that you use for your email account, right? So, so the one big message here is even if you don't do anything else, make sure that your primary email account has a unique secure password because that's the key to so many of your online services today. Right. Okay. So my password manager is fine, but definitely check my email password and make sure that that's really strong. That's that's right. And and look, once you're using okay. a password manager and you use that little feature to suggest a secure password, um, they'll yeah. they'll all be they'll all be different. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, good advice for all the people listening. Hopefully, all of us will be safe in the future now that we know that. So another question we received was, how safe is Facebook? Should I be posting and sharing photos of my family? Yeah, look, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, for me, questions about Facebook are more to do with privacy than security, but there is also mm-hmm. some crossover. So there's the really common advice from a privacy point of view, lock down the visibility of your posts and your profile, you know, in Facebook example, perhaps to only friends. Certainly... From my perspective, there's not a lot of reason to have your posts uh, public by default. So, so locking that down, and also be wary of posting information that might be valuable to to a hacker or some kind of um, malicious actor. Now, something else that a lot of people don't realise is um, you might be aware. You know those viral posts that go around where they get you to make funny things like a movie star name from personal information. So, you know, if you, you, the, the month of the year you were born and the year you were born, that kind of stuff. So there's actually some evidence that those are potentially a security risk because they're, what they're doing is they're actually tricking you into revealing publicly elements of personal information that could be used by hackers to bypass security measures. So a lot of sites have a security question for example, um, so the name of your first pet or the street that you grew up on as a kid, that's a common option for a website security question, but it's also similar kind of information. So, so just have a bit of a think about that, you know, next time you see one of those and go, eh, you know, what's really in it for me sharing this? What am I giving up versus what am I getting from this activity? 
you know, on that note, ultimately everyone has to make their own decisions about this, their security and their privacy and their risks. So there's a really interesting example from a couple of years ago. The Australian Defence Force were holding their regular defence exercises, but unknown to the troops and the soldiers who are involved in that exercise, the Information Warfare Division, also of the Australian Defence Force, it's a relatively new part of defence, they ran uh, what's called a, a red team. So they, they pretended to be attackers. Now, using only publicly information that was shared on social media by serving professionals, so on Facebook and primarily, but also you know Instagram and Twitter and all of that kind of stuff. So using only publicly informa- available information, this group, thankfully friendly cybersecurity professionals, were able to determine some very sensitive information about troop movements, about force structures, uh, some you know, very sensitive operational information. So the point is that you know, just because you don't think something is necessarily useful to somebody else, that doesn't mean it's the case. Um, so, so you've got to you've got to think very carefully about about what you share and you know what what the potential impacts of that are. So, look back to the question: posts and photos of your family. That's a question of privacy. I don't think for most people there's a strong security risk there. Yeah. Okay. I like what you said about it's not. Um consider what you're gaining and what you're giving up. I think that's good advice. Yeah, absolutely. So another Facebook-related question that I'm really curious about, when someone's Facebook or Instagram, I guess, is hacked and they've suddenly tagged 40 people in a photo selling fake Ray-Bans for $40, what's happened there? Like who's behind that? So in that case, it will be the the situation that their social media account has been compromised uh, and mm-hmm. quite possibly through password reuse. If someone's reused the same password for their Instagram account as they did on, on some low-quality, insecure uh, web service and they've appeared in a credential dump, that's, that's possibly how that's happened. In terms of who's behind it, well, the thing to be mindful of there is that cybercrime, the activities and the proceeds of cybercrime, it's a, it's a commercial market like, like any other or any other black market. So what this means is that the people who are compromising accounts, say by hacking into websites, um, they're not necessarily the ones who are making use of that information. Instead, they're collecting it and combining it with other data sources potentially and, and selling it on in a genuine black market. So this creates a, a what you might call a value chain. A Facebook login and password might be worth, I don't know, maybe 20 cents on the black market. But if that then gets matched with, say, credit card information or a US social security number or a corporate email account, then you know its, it's value increases. So that's the thing there is that the person who's just logged in, and it's not going to be a person, it'll normally be automated. The, the entity who's, who's kind of logged in and just spammed someone's friend list with an ad for fake Ray-Bans, they are very unlikely to actually be the person behind the compromise. That that information has been captured and unsold, and now somebody else is making use of it. Ah, uh, okay. Cool. Kind of. <laughs> um, okay, so what is the best way to stay safe online then and avoid these cyber criminals, I guess? Well, you know, the things that we've talked about already today are important. Mm -hmm. Be sceptical. So when you get emails and text messages purporting to be from service providers, banks, Australian government, that kind of thing, verify that that that's actually the origin. So one very good bit of advice is if you you receive an email that appears to be from, say, your bank, 
most banks and and uh, institutions of high repute will not send you login links. They will say, please go to our online banking platform and log in and you know, change your password or whatever it is. Uh, and and that's that's to avoid people getting into the habit and to let us be suspicious when someone sends us an email with a link that said log into your internet banking here because there's a very good chance it's not. So be skeptical. Verify the sources of information and the the destinations that links are taking you to. Use a password manager and and then gain really easy access to that single best thing you can do, which is unique secure passwords. So now we're going to move on to some questions that were asked by people who attended a recent cybersecurity masterclass webinar that UQ held. The first question is from Morgan. I am a high school IT teacher. What do you think would be the most important cybersecurity topics to teach young teenagers to prepare them for a career in cybersecurity? Uh, yeah, look, that's a great question, and and look, we had a lot of fun at that webinar, and and we had we had so many more questions left over at the end than than time we had to address them. So it's it's really nice to be able to uh, take a look at some of them now. So at the most basic level, I would encourage you to model good cybersecurity practices yourself in the in the classroom and and talk about them with your students. Some of the basic stuff we've been talking about here today. I think about cybersecurity like we think about public health. And so as we've seen in the coronavirus crisis, simple individual actions like hand washing, coughing into your elbow, not going out when you're sick, these are all simple but critical and valuable things that we can do as individuals that contributes overall to the, in this case, the health of the community, um, but also cybersecurity. So encouraging those basic behaviors. In terms of career paths, I would encourage you to help your students understand that cybersecurity isn't a purely technical information technology discipline. So it's certainly about IT security. Ultimately, we're talking about the security of data and systems. But in the industry, we need people with a range of skills and abilities. So we need mathematicians to develop and analyze the cryptography algorithms that keep our data safe and secure. We need social and behavioral scientists to help us understand how and why People undertake risky behaviors around technology and why they commit cybercrime. We need educators who can communicate risks and prevention strategies. And we need leaders who can help to transform organizations and society to be more resilient against cyber risk. So, so the point I'm trying to make here is that whatever the, the discipline area that a particular student is interested in, there is almost certain to be a role for them in securing our society and, and allowing us to make better use of all of this wonderful digital technology that we have. You know, yes, we do need technology people. I've got an engineering and computer science background, but not only those specialists who study malware or build security systems, but actually we need all IT professionals to understand that security is a critical part of software development, not just an optional feature. We need security by design. So as a, as a, as a technical community, we need to rethink the way that we design software and the way that we present it to users to help them to make more secure choices. So for those students, you can help them to understand their personal risks and their choices and help them to see how their existing skills and passions can be directed into a, a cybersecurity career. Um, the last thing I would say, Morgan, is that from a high school perspective, is that you're welcome to get in touch with the UQ cyber team. Uh, so we have a number of school-based workshops that we've done in the past and are, and are happy to help facilitate. We're always happy to talk to schools who are interested in, in getting some, some engagement on that side. 
Yeah, great. I also should mention that a link to all the resources that we speak about in today's podcast will be in our show notes. So our next question is from Louise. I have a Bachelor of Arts Honours International Relations from UQ last year. Where should I apply to start a career in cybersecurity? Oh, this is a really good question and it touches on what I was just talking about before. So, Louise, you'd be pleased to know that international relations and global security are an important part of the cybersecurity equation. So given the seeming borderless nature of technology and the internet, we face questions like how do we handle these cross-border and jurisdictional issues? If a cybercrime offence is committed against an individual or an organisation, but it's been launched by an actor in another country, what are the international issues involved? In terms of where to start, so you, you said you've graduated from UQ, so one option might be to have a look at the graduate certificate in cybersecurity that, that we have here. Um, so this consists of the four compulsory courses from the master's program. It covers the foundational elements in a, in a low technical or non-technical way. So students would look at things like information security, a general introduction to cybersecurity and the contemporary issues, but also how cybersecurity plays a role within global security and cybercrime. And we also look at the legal and governance and ethical considerations. So the value of this short program, these four courses, is that it gives you a very broad interdisciplinary view of the cybersecurity landscape, a global perspective, and that would help you to decide your next move. Now, if that was further study, you could articulate into the master's program, uh, possibly in the cyber criminology field of study, to go further with that. One of the other things we're doing in the program is we're working with a range of partners to offer work integrated learning capstone projects. And we're utilizing the contacts that, that we as a, as a teaching and research team have at organizations such as Interpol and the Australian Federal Police and others. And our aim there is to offer or to create placement pathways within those kinds of organizations. And then at a more basic level, and this applies, I think, for everybody, it's there's any number of high quality cybersecurity news sites, blogs, and podcasts that you can follow to learn more about that. And that's not always from a technical point of view. There's a really diverse range of resources out there. Okay. Our next question is from Elsa. She says, I'm a fresh graduate from a Bachelor of Business Management at UQ and I'm considering studying a Master of Cybersecurity. However, I'm worried that it would be very challenging for me as I lack both experience and prior IT knowledge. Is there any advice you could give me? Uh, yeah, thanks, Elsa. Um, look, this is a good question and, and one we get a lot and one that we've thought about a lot in the design of the Masters. So we've worked very hard to design an inclusive program that doesn't require prior study in any particular area. The Master of Cybersecurity has four fields of study. Cyber defense, which is a, a technical orientation. Leadership, which is more about leading organizations and organizational transformation around cybersecurity. Cyber criminology, which is about the, the study and analysis and prevention of cybercrime. And cryptography, which is about the mathematical and computer systems that we use to protect information. Let's say you chose to study the master's and you were interested in going into cyber defense and that technical program, but without an IT background, we take you through a one semester, what we call a foundational block of study to get you up to speed in those technical areas before you launch into the advanced courses. Similarly, for the cyber criminology field of study, you do a six-month foundation program in criminology before going into the higher level courses. Now, for students who already have a background in a, in a related discipline, you can skip over that foundation study and do the program in 18 months. 
the other critical element of the program is that all fields of study take what we call the poor, which I which I talked about in the answer to the previous question, uh, to give all of our students a well-rounded understanding of the whole sector. So they understand their place in it. They will actually be meeting, you know, in, in the classroom when we get back on campus, they'll be meeting their, their peers in, in different fields of study. And these people will eventually be their colleagues and their co-workers in the profession. So that, that compulsory core gives the, the rounded perspective on the profession as a whole. Mm. I think I didn't realize quite how multidisciplinary cybersecurity is as a field, but um, so many opportunities. Yeah. And, and you know, this was the feedback that we we received again and again from industry and government when we were designing the program and we were talking to them about the kinds of skills and capabilities that they needed within their organisation. And it's also been informed by quite a, a strong body of work in the professional and research community about the nature of cybersecurity roles. And it's very, very much broader than, that, than those narrow technical skills. So if anyone is looking to study at UQ in cybersecurity, are there any scholarships available? Uh, yes, there are. So UQ offers a broad array of scholarships. I'm certainly not across them all, but you can click through to the UQ Future Students website to learn more about those. But in the area of cybersecurity specifically, we recently announced a partnership with Hewlett Packard, who are funding five women in cybersecurity scholarships annually for study in the master's program. And that's commencing from semester two of this year. So applications for the program and for that scholarship round are still open. The scholarship program is brand new. So the details should be on the UQ scholarships page very soon if they're not already. Yeah. So definitely check out that webpage if you're interested in um, applying for any of those scholarships. So my final question for you, John, is what is your best advice for someone interested in cybersecurity? Uh, yeah, look, this is a good one, Lucy. Look, so in general, I would actually offer the same advice that I offer my kids about life in general, which is to stay interested, to be curious, to ask lots of questions and to take opportunities when they present themselves. There's a quote that says that 90% of success is showing up. I really like that. I think it's very true. And it's been true for my, for me and my career as well. So, uh, you know, so just being interested, listening to the podcast, come along to the seminars, take the, take the internship opportunity when they, when they come up. Now for cybersecurity in particular, so you're on the right track by listening into this podcast, start paying attention to the news media and notice how often cyber related events are, are being reported. Uh, dig into the details from whatever point of view is, is most interesting to you, whether that's the technical angle uh, or perhaps the social, organisational or even the criminal investigation side of things. Um, and, and one final plug, which would uh, be relevant for people who are interested, is um, this year's AusCert conference has been moved online. For those who don't know, AusCert is the Australian Cyber Emergency Response Team. Uh, they're actually part of the University of Queensland. They live within our Information Technology Services Division. Um, they've been up and running for, I think, 25 years now, providing independent cybersecurity advice, and they have a major conference every year. Now, because that's unfortunately had to be moved online, it does mean that it's much cheaper to offer. So student registrations for that are $25. It's on in September from the 15th to the 18th. And while it does tend to be a technical event in the past, I've seen some really fantastic speakers. So if you're interested at all, then check it out and, and go along and engage with that. Associate Professor John Williams, thank you so much for taking the time to answer so many questions today. I feel like I've learned so much. Uh, look, that's my pleasure, Lucy. Thanks very much for the opportunity. We look forward to having our first cohort join us in the Masters in, in semester two. We've got a lot of uh, really exciting stuff planned.
Thank you for listening to Alumni Ask. If you have a question you would like answered or an expert you would like asked, let us know. You can submit your questions by emailing us at uqalumni at uq.edu.au or connecting with us on social media. If you would like to learn more about cybersecurity at UQ, be sure to check out the resources linked in our show notes or visit the UQ Cybersecurity website. Thanks for listening and until next time, keep asking.